Good morning, and welcome to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. We're broadcasting live on Saturday, May 21st, 2022, from Jefferson Park in Chicago. And welcome to the program. We're so happy to have you with us for this hour. My name is David Canfield, and I'll be the host for this time. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And we'll be taking uh, call uh, uh, questions rather by email. So if you want to send us a question, if you have any questions about what you're hearing on the program, uh, just send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. So in these first, this is our second program. In, in the first few uh, programs, what we want to do is focus on how we should come to the Bible. How should we view the Word, the word of God, the Bible? Uh, because, of course, as Christians, that's the basis of our faith. It's the basis for uh, uh, everything that we believe. And so we need to have a proper view of how to come to the Scriptures. Uh, you know, we live right now in what are really pretty dark times, and it seems to be getting uh, darker every day when we look around us at the, at the moral degradation going on in this country. Uh, so we need to have an uplifted view of the Bible uh, as Christians, I felt for, for some time, uh, when we see the situation going on as it is, we really need to up our game. We need to be much more serious about following the Lord, about being in the Word. And so that's why we want to try to uh, help believers appreciate the Bible in a deeper way and appreciate our need to come to the Bible in a much more serious way and to seek the Lord in a much more serious way. Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 uh, the Apostle Paul, that he was in prison. Of course, at that time, he's awaiting his martyrdom. He says, Remember that Jesus, Christ of the seed of the that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I su suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. The word of God is not bound. And so I appreciate, despite all the attacks on the Bible today, all the way people want to try to diminish it, or dismiss it, or say it's not that important. The Word of God is not bound. It continues to grow and continues to affect people more and more every day. So we praise the Lord for that. One of my favorite uh, sayings about the Bible, it's a very brief statement. It says, the Bible is an anvil that has broken many hammers. And it's really so. There's always different kinds of attacks on the Bible. From ancient time uh, in Rome, uh, they, they sought to just exterminate the Bible, to get rid of all the the copies that could be found of the Bible. And throughout history, people who've had possession of the Bible have been put to death. William Tyndale was burned at the stake, uh, I think it was 8, 1536, right about the time of the Reformation. Uh, he's really the father of, uh, well, it, he translated the Bible into English from the original Greek for the first time. And for that, he was put to death. Well, today we have access to the Bible uh, it's in our hands. We don't have to worry about that. But the question is, how much are we reading the Bible? How much are we spending time in the Word? How much are we allowing the Word to affect us in our daily life? You know, lately, uh, I've been spending time in First Peter. It's really a... Uh, the, the, the books of Peter, it, it seems, are just really a, a book for our time. They're so practical. So in the first chapter, what does he talk about? He talks about how we've been regenerated. We've been born again in 1-3... Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us unto a living hope. And then in verse 23, uh, he says, 
uh, we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the living and abiding word of God. So it's through the word of God, when we hear the, the gospel, the word of God preached, that we're born again. Then in chapter 2, he goes on, okay, now you're born again, what do you need? He says, as newborn babes long for the guileless milk of the word. So as believers in Christ, the first thing we should long for is this guileless milk of the word, the pure milk of the word. That's what can cause us to grow unto salvation. It's so crucial for us to develop that habit of being in the word day by day, spending time reading the Bible. I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in having a, a habit of reading through the Bible once a year. Uh, you know, you can read three chapters in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New. That will get you through the Bible in a year. It takes about 20 minutes a day or so, uh, or at least every every couple of years. Uh, if Christians were doing that, I think our, our whole situation would be different today. Uh, in John 17, 17, the Lord says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How can we be sanctified, especially when, when the tide of the world today is so strong? How can we be sanctified? as believers, if we're not in the truth, in the word of God. And Revelation 1.3 says, uh, we're blessed if we read uh, the words of this book. And of course, that's specifically referring to the book of Revelation. It's really true, especially in these days, as the end times draw near, uh, we really need to spend time in the book of Revelation, to know the book of Revelation. There's a real blessing there. But that principle applies to uh, the whole Bible. We're so blessed if we're those who read this book. It's a real blessing. So we need to spend time in the Word. But today, there's so many influences that want to keep us from the Word. Uh, they want to keep us from spending time in the Word. It's a struggle. It's not going to come easily. Uh, Satan knows the power of the Word, and he's going to do everything he can to keep us as believers from being in the Scripture. And so, first of all, this age right now just occupies every moment of our time. It just, uh, like never before in human history, uh, there's a constant barrage of information and interruptions and entertainments and amusements that keep coming to us to occupy us and prevent us from spending time in the Word like we should be as Christians. We, we need to make a real decision and a real effort to be in the Word. We can't drift and expect we're going to be spending time in the Word today like we should be. That's not going to happen. So that's just, that's just the world trying to occupy us. But secondly... There are also specific attacks upon the Bible and uh, uh, ways in which the world tries to discourage us from coming to the Word. You know, it's not the Word of God, um, doubts about the Word, sowing doubts about God's Word. And so we're going to consider just briefly a few of those uh, later on in this program this morning. But in our, right now what I want to do is review a little bit what we covered in our first program last week. Uh, now we, we, the topic then was how did Jesus come to the scriptures? What was his view of the Holy Scripture? Because if we're followers of Christ, then we need to follow him in terms of how he came to the scripture. How did he view the Bible? That's what we want to consider. Uh, that's what we considered last week, and we just want to review a little bit this morning. And we may develop this thought again in a future program, uh, but like I say right now, we just want to review a little bit. And what we stressed was he trusted the scriptures in an absolute way as God's unique revelation to mankind. Uh, he made it very clear. There is a, a definite unique body of scripture that we can appeal to, that we can look to for God's revelation to us for how to live our Christian life. 
It's the only source of, unite, of the divine revelation. It's the only authority, real authority, for our faith as Christians. That's the way he came to the word. And we see this in uh, when he uh, dealt with others, opposers. Uh, what authority did he uh, use? And over and over again, he appealed to the word of God. And of course, what we're talking about here at that time, the scripture was what we call today the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. But the same principle applies now that we have the New Testament. So we can still learn from how Jesus looked at the Old Testament scriptures that he had at his time. So the very first time was when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And I love the fact that uh, the very first thing Jesus said after he was baptized by John the Baptist, the very first thing he said, Satan tempted him uh, uh, command these stones to become bread because he just fasted for 40 days. Uh, Jesus, the very first thing he says in, in the whole New Testament after he's baptized by John was, it is written. The very first thing he appeals to the scripture, he's saying, this is my authority. And, and then what he says next is also, it's wonderful. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was his view of the scripture. We need to live by this word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what we live by. And what we see in the, in the Gospels is Jesus never once appealed to any other authority besides the scripture. That was his view. He had a unique authority uh, on the earth uh, for his, his living. And of course, he, he appealed also to the authority of the Father in heaven. But in terms of earthly authorities, the only authority he recognized was the Holy Scripture in terms of uh, how he should uh, live as a man on the earth. So he told the devil, Satan, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And he says this over and over again uh, in the Gospels. I'd encourage you, if you have a concordance, uh, look up the word written uh, in in in, in your concordance and do a study. See how uh, Jesus used that word. Uh, I did just look at it quickly at a couple dozen instances in the, in the different gospels where he says it is written uh, or thoughts along those lines. Uh, some of them, of course, are uh, referring to the same incident, but I think there's a couple dozen times where um, he uses that word along those lines. A couple different, a couple dozen different uh, Examples of that. So just a few we're, we're talking about this morning. Uh, Matthew 21, 13, he turned over the tables and they, uh, they asked him why he was doing that. And he said, it's, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Matthew 21, 16, the Pharisees told him to, to rebuke the children who were praising him in the temple. He says, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? And then he told a parable in Matthew 21, 42, uh, and he, he finished it by saying, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. So that was his authority. And he's saying there's a definite body of scripture that we can appeal to as our authority. There are no lost books of the Bible. It hasn't been corrupted. We know what the scripture is. And it's not only that Jesus knew what it was. He's saying you should know what it is too, to his hearers. Haven't you read, right? It is written. He's saying to them, you know what that authority is too. Now, the interesting thing is, uh, it's not quite clear when the, the canon of the Old Testament was finalized by the Jews. Apparently, they'd made some progress uh, before the time of Jesus. Uh, some feel Ezra uh, did a lot of work on that. Uh, 
but it probably was not finalized until after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. So it, when he was on the earth, he wasn't saying just that someone had made an official declaration about the scriptures. What he's saying is these scriptures are authentic in themselves, and you should know that. You should know what they are. And his testimony tells us God preserved the scriptures for the children of Israel in his day. And just as in that same testimony tells us he's preserved the New Testament for the believers today. So we have a definite body of scripture that we can come to and that we know uh, is the word of God. Now, in our Bibles, there's some questions at the edges, some small things about manuscripts and uh, textual differences, because it's a book like any other book. The Bible didn't come to us on golden plates. Like, the, like some claim, their, their holy book. The Mormons say that the angel gave the vision on, uh, of this book on golden plates. The Bible's not like that. And in a sense, it's like any other book. So there's just a little few discrepancies here and there. Uh, but it's nothing significant. We know basically what the scripture is. And uh, we can trust the, the word of God in the original manuscripts is exactly what God intended it to be. And we can put our trust in that. Uh, so, like I say, there's no lost books of the Bible. There's no scriptures for other people. Uh, you know, whether the uh, the, the Buddhists, some, some people claim, well, the, the Bible is for us, but uh, then the Buddhists have their scriptures and uh, the Muslims have the their book and uh, 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 whatever other religion, they they have their own, their own kinds of scripture. The scripture is just for us. Jesus never gives one inch of ground to that kind of statement. Not one inch of ground to have that kind of view. He could have said that. He could have said, to the Jews, this is for us, other people have their thing, but there's nothing in the New Testament ever that indicates that he had that kind of view of the scripture. So uh, today, unfortunately, in a lot of churches, you find a Jesus who accepts other views of the scripture or who doesn't have this view of the scripture, that it's the unique revelation of God to mankind. Well, you find that Jesus in a lot of churches but you don't find him in the four Gospels. You don't find him in the New Testament. The Jesus in the New Testament absolutely affirmed the authority of the Scripture. Uh, when, the, when people uh, preach that kind of Jesus that's accepting of other uh, Scriptures or other ways of salvation too, they're preaching a different Jesus. Uh, the Paul warned us about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. That's a different Jesus. We didn't preach him. The Jesus in the New Testament is a Jesus who absolutely affirms the authority of Scripture. So, um, now we need to make a little parentheses. Uh, because I think as we're sharing this, a lot of people are going to have a question about God. Uh, namely, they're going to ask, it seems like God is not fair. Because we've been very blessed in Western civilization to have the Bible really is the basis of our whole civilization for, you know, maybe almost 2,000 years, whereas other civilizations uh, around the world haven't had that blessing. So they say, well, so if, if, if that's God's unique revelation to mankind, then God's not fair, right? Well, again, it is God's revelation to mankind. But yes, I still want to affirm God is absolutely fair. And he does desire he wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. So he's not just uh, working for uh, a particular uh, people. He wants all men to be saved and to come to the full knowledge of the truth. There's a principle in the Bible that to whom much is given, 
From him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask all the more. That's Luke 12, uh, verse 48. So in Western civilization, we've been very blessed, it's true, to receive the scriptures uh, and to have an, some appreciation of the Bible as the word of God. That's right. And that's why, to be honest, that's why Western civilization has prevailed uh, on the earth as it has and been the dominant civilization as it has, uh, especially in, you know, in the last 1,500 years or so. But because of that blessing, God is going to call us to a much stricter account. What did we do with that blessing? Did that blessing really turn us to God or did we just use that blessing for our own sake and for our own benefit? Uh, G.H. Pember was a uh, writer, in uh, uh, a student of the Bible in 1887. And I appreciate one statement he makes. I appreciate his writings a lot. But one statement here that he makes that applies here is, how fearful a mistake it is to confound privileges with the use made of them. Yes, we have privileges. We've been very privileged and blessed, blessed to have the Bible as the basis of our civilization. But what use have we made of that privilege? That's the question. It's not just, it's good to have the blessing, but did you make an adequate use of that blessing? If not, God's going to call us to a much stricter accounting that the other nations, which never had that blessing, will not be responsible for. So that's when we're going to see God's fairness in, in working as he has. In a broader sense, uh, we need to have a real fear of the Lord, which, and that's what's so much lacking among critics of the Bible today. When you look at the Bible, uh, you have to realize all of God's truth emanates from the cross. That's where God's love and his justice meet. And God cannot set aside his justice for the sake of his love. And he won't give up his love for the sake of his justice. These two things have to come together. And so God's working seems to us, because we're in a fallen situation, it's hard. Sometimes it's like a, an illustration would be how a, a parent deals with a child in love, but sometimes they have to be strict and the child may not understand that. That's kind of our situation, only much more so with a God who is infinitely holy. Uh, we won't fully understand God's judgments until... Uh, the end time until uh, uh, the Lord finally manifests his righteous judgments. And so I wanted to uh, verse along those lines uh, is Revelation chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And this is spoken right at the time when uh, God is preparing to, the angels are preparing to uh, pour out the seven bowls, God's final judgment upon the earth. Then some saints who've passed through the great tribulation they're standing on the sea of glass. And uh, again, Revelation verses fifteen, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, King of the nations, uh, in the modern versions. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your righteous judgments have been manifested. So at that time, we will see how God's judgment in every respect is absolutely righteous. And when we see that, then we'll praise the Lord and we'll realize, yes, Lord, your judgments have been righteous all along. Today, those who like to sit in judgment of God, sit in judgment of what they see in his word, there's no fear of God before their eyes. And you just it makes you weep just about when you read some of the things they say.
Uh, but at that time, God's judgments will be manifested. The reason why we don't fear the Lord is because to some extent today, his judgments are hidden. They're not yet manifested. But when they are manifested, then we're going to uh, be very clear. God, you were righteous all along. Psalm 29, 9 tells us, all in his temple cry glory. Today, we're, we're obscured from God, right? We don't see, and so we question, and we doubt, and we wonder. But when the sky is clear, when, we, when we're with the Lord, we realize just how holy and righteous and pure God really is. We have no choice but to cry glory, glory, hallelujah, because we see how perfect and righteous he is in every respect. Now, I, I want to give one example of how God's judgment today is uh, hard for us to understand. And I'm reading, I'm, I'll read this verse to you. I don't understand it. But because we see God's work on the cross, that's why, that's why I say God's truth emanates from the cross. Because we see God's love and his justice meet and reconciled on the cross in the death and resurrection of Christ in a perfect way, we can trust God is loving and just and righteous. Um, uh, even there are things we don't understand in the Bible, we do know that much. And so that's faith. That's an exercise of faith. So listen, listen to what Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24 say. Uh, he's Jesus, this is where Jesus is rebuking uh, some of the cities that he did his great works, his great miracles in, and they didn't repent. So it's Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24. He says, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So first of all, what Jesus is saying here, you know, today if you go to Capernaum, I've never been to the, to the, to the Holy Land, to Israel, uh, but I'm sure there's plenty of holy places in Capernaum. This is where Jesus did this. This is where Jesus did that. Uh, it's been exalted because that's where Jesus was. But Jesus is saying, don't think, uh, don't think, uh, that you're so holy after all. You're going to be brought down to Hades. And this is another example uh, of that principle in the Bible. If you're given much, much more shall be required of you. So first of all, that city which is so exalted is going to be brought down to Hades. But listen to what he says about Sodom. If the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. Have you ever considered what the Lord is saying here? He's saying, I could have sent someone to do miracles in Sodom and the people there would have repented of their sin and I would not have had to judge that city. It would have remained until today. There wouldn't have been fire and brimstone coming down. I could have done that. I could have stopped it. And yet he didn't do it. He didn't stop it. Is God righteous? Yes, God's absolutely righteous. And he's loving and is kind. This is why I say, well, all we can, when we read this kind of a verse, we can't fully understand God's ways. And I think in this verse is in the Bible to help us appreciate. He hasn't yet shown us all of his ways. We only see, like Job says, the fringes of his ways. So we need to be very humble. There are some things that are clear regarding God's eternal judgment of the uh, unsaved and uh, uh, salvation in Christ. Some things are clear, but there are some things we just realize we only know so little. And even uh, as I'm speaking about that verse, I, I, I hope I'm not misrepresenting God. But when I read that verse, it certainly seems to me that's what he's saying. If the mighty works were done in you, 
which were done in Capernaum, had been done in Sodom. Sodom would not have had to be judged. So you read this kind of a verse, and it just makes you bow before the Lord as the Holy One. Lord, we only understand so much. We only see so much of what's in your scripture, of, what, of your truth. You haven't revealed everything to us, but we know how good, how loving, and kind you are. And so we trust that. And so all that is to explain when we see God has committed his unique scripture to a particular portion of the world. Don't think God's not fair. He is fair. But his final judgment hasn't yet been manifested. That's when we'll appreciate uh, the fairness of God. And so that's, uh, we'll, uh, uh, that's enough for this segment. We'll come back and, and continue uh, uh, in our next segment. And we'll talk about the other aspect in which Jesus came to the scriptures. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org, to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the christianfaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website, or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. So, uh, now we wanted to come back to uh, this this question again. I'm spending longer, uh, more time in this review than I had expected, to be honest. But but it's it's quite important, quite an important uh, matter to consider. How did Jesus come to the scriptures? So we've seen He's given us the assurance that there is a definite body of scripture that we can appeal to. So the second thing we want to see is, okay, there's this body of scripture. So how did Jesus come to this scripture? How did He view the scripture when He came to it? Because there's a lot of people today who say, well, the, the Bible is a bunch of allegories. It's not really meant to be taken literally. It, it, they, the people back then didn't understand that much as we do today. They weren't that scientific, and so they were uh, simpler. So uh, Jesus uh, you couldn't explain to them uh, all this. But we understand better. So it wasn't really meant to be taken literally. Uh, but when we see how Jesus came to the Scripture, again, there's not an inch of ground for that kind of view. Uh, that that's how Jesus felt about the scripture. And I'm not trying here to prove, uh, you know, what is, you know, what is or isn't historical. The, the question here is, how did Jesus come to the scripture? If we're followers of Christ, we want to come to the scripture in the same way. And he was absolutely a literalist. Now, that doesn't mean you always take the Bible literally, but it means when it's, you do take it as historical and literal, unless it's meant to be taken otherwise. That, that's the right way to understand that. So let's just look at it, just, just a few of the examples. Uh, we won't go through so many uh, this week, but if you, if you consider this question yourself, again, it's a good study to do. And I should add, 
why this is so important to me is because when I was a new believer, I had a lot of questions about the scripture myself, but seeing how Jesus came to the scripture, how he viewed the scripture, really uplifted my view of the scripture. And so I hope it will uplift your view as well. And one thing you notice, and this is quite interesting, is that it seemed Jesus had a way of picking out the things that he knew people were going to doubt about the word of God or where the skeptics would attack the word of God as the Bible. He picked those out and he strongly affirmed that they were actual historical events. And again, you can you can pick these out in the Gospels yourselves. Uh, we, we, we covered that more last week, but just to, to refer to a few here, let's take a look at them. So Matthew 19, 4 and 5. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 and 5, the Pharisees came to Jesus and they were testing him and they asked him about marriage. And Jesus answered them in this way. He said, have you not read? So again, he's appealing to the scriptures. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. So here, Jesus is directly affirming the Genesis account of creation. He quotes Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1, uh, uh, 27. He made them male and female. Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he does nothing. He gives no hint that this is anything other than a historical account of creation. So he strongly affirms the Genesis account of creation, the biblical account of creation. Uh, in Matthew 24, uh, he's talking about the end times. Uh, this, is verse, this is verses uh, 37 through 39. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So here he strongly affirms the flood actually happened as it was in the days of Noah. Again, there's no hint. He never says, gives any basis for saying that this is nothing, that this is anything other than a historical account. He could have done that. He could have said, oh, that reminds me. Uh, by the way, this, is, this didn't actually happen. It's just in the scripture to try to give you guys an allegory or an analogy. There's nothing that Jesus ever says that ever gives anybody an inch of ground for saying that. Again, if, if that's what you're hearing, uh, if, 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 if you hear preaching like that, it's another Jesus. It's not the Jesus who's in the scriptures. Uh, and uh, we, we've already quoted before Matthew 11, verses 23 and 24. Now, I didn't point out something in that verse at that time. But he's saying, uh, he says in that verse, it will uh, be more tolerable in the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. So here he says specifically, yes, they existed in the past. They're going to be judged in the future. That's not, he's not talking here about an allegory. He's not talking about something that didn't really happen. He's talking about people who are going to be under God's judgment. So again, there's no basis for saying uh, Jesus ever had anything except the view that these were actual historical events. Matthew 12, verses 40 and 41, he talks about Jonah. And this is a, a one people love to, uh, the skeptics love to ridicule and mock. Jesus didn't mock it. He said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So again, he says, in exactly the same way Jonah was in 
the belly of the fish. That's how I'm going to be in the heart of the earth. If you don't believe Jesus, if you don't believe Jonah was in the fish, you won't be able to believe either that I died for your sins, went into Hades and rose again from the dead. It's in just the same way. So just these verses, and there's more of them also you can look at. These show us Jesus was a literalist, uh, so to speak, a fundamentalist uh, in terms of how he came to the scripture. That's how he viewed the scripture. You know, a little while ago, I was looking at uh, uh, Acts chapter 4 when uh, Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin. And I had to look up these verses. And they're, they're, they'd healed, the, uh, they'd healed the, the lame man. And then they were uh, attacked and, uh, and, and, and uh, ridiculed, uh, persecuted, really, by the Sanhedrin uh, for, the, for testifying on behalf of Jesus. But they were very bold. That's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, um, Peter says, There is salvation in no other name besides the name of Jesus, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And verse 13 is very interesting. I've always appreciated this verse. Now, when they, and this, they are the, the Pharisees, or actually the, the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jews at this time, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, these men, Peter and John, had real power because they'd spent time with the Lord. And there was a strong testimony because of that to the religious leaders of their day. And as we spend time with the Lord, as we spend time in the, in the Word and believe the Word of God, that's when we're going to have real power in our time as well. But in particular, what struck me about this verse was um, I looked at the Greek and uh, the... Uh, it says they were uneducated, untrained men. The word for untrained there is very interesting. Uh, the Greek word is idiotis. It's the word we get our English word idiot from. So in a sense, uh, what, what the scripture is saying here was that um, they, they beheld their boldness and they realized they were a couple of idiots, but they'd been with Jesus and they had a strong testimony. So on our website, and I should, uh, uh, I need to, um, I should be referring to that more. Uh, it's thechristianfaith.org. And again, you can send us questions now uh, at uh, questions at thechristianfaith.org. But on our website, we have an article uh, I did based on that. And we send this out, we sent out an email. Uh, I sent this out a while ago. A shortage of idiots. You know why the church is so weak today? And why it's so uh, powerless is because, because we don't have this kind of idiot. Idiots who were, were silly enough, stupid enough to believe the Bible the way it is meant to be believed. We, that kind of simple childlike faith. It's not that there's no evidence. There's overwhelming evidence. Especially, I'm more interested in the internal evidence for the Bible. The uh, overwhelming evidence for believing the Bible is the word of God. But we need to have that kind of faith that Jesus had, that the Bible is the word of God. You know, Jesus said, uh, some people may feel it doesn't matter that much. We, we can uh, throw out certain parts of the Bible, uh, and, uh, but we, it's, it's the important stuff, the, the spiritual truths. We want to believe the spiritual truths, but the historical stuff, it doesn't really matter that much. Well, again, I have to tell you, that's not the way Jesus felt at all. Uh, he's talking to the Pharisees in John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47. He says very strongly, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. 
for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? No, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Do you believe the book of Genesis? Do you believe that's the word of God? Do you believe it's a historical account of creation? You need to have a very sober consideration about that. Uh, Jesus said, if you don't believe this writing by Moses, you're not going to be able to believe my words either. So if you don't accept the, the writings of Moses as being a historical document, then no, you're, it's hard to really believe the words of the Lord. Very hard. It, it, very hard to have a, a strong, vibrant faith in the Lord if we don't have that kind of a view of the Scripture. Because that's the foundation. Everything else rests in the Scripture rests on that foundation. If your foundation is not strong, uh, of your faith is not strong, you, you just can't have a strong faith. Uh, 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 he says the same thing in John 3, chapter 12, um, along the same, very much along the same lines. He's talking to Nicodemus about the new birth and uh, uh, telling him, you need to be born again. And in John 3, 7, Jesus is very clear. You must be born again. But then Nicodemus didn't quite understand this. And uh, eventually in John 3, 12, Jesus tells him, if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? That's a great principle. If we want to believe the scripture, we have to take the whole scripture. Don't think that you're able to believe just part of the scripture, pick and choose. We have to believe the whole scripture. And so that's why we're spending some time on this to encourage you to really look at how Jesus came to the scripture and allow him to build up your faith. Now, as I say, we, we want to have a childlike faith, but... Uh, it's not the faith without evidence that we just blindly believe. There's no such thing as blind faith. Uh, God never asks us to believe something without giving us a reason to believe it. Uh, and so I, I'm not uh, really qualified to get into the scientific arguments and evidence over, over, uh, about the Bible. Uh, I'm much more concerned, as I say, with the internal evidence because the internal evidence that the Bible is God's revelation to mankind, uh, his his the, the scripture that we can trust for our Christian faith is just overwhelming when you get into it. If anybody ever says there's no evidence for the Bible, it's, it's either they simply are completely ignorant of what's actually in the Bible or uh, they're not being honest, one of those two, because the internal evidence is, is overwhelming. And uh, now I wouldn't say, is it proof? No, it's not proof. Uh, you have to weigh it and consider that evidence. And we'll, we'll be doing that in these future programs. Uh, again, because we want to try to uh, encourage people to look at the Bible in a new way. But, uh, but like I say, that, that evidence is overwhelming. So uh, that's going to do it for this segment of the program. Now, in the next segment, we want to just begin to talk uh, about three of the kind of general attacks that are made against the Bible today. And the first one, uh, especially, may be a little bit surprising. Uh, it has to do with this question of how old is the earth, because that's a real stumbling block for uh, many people uh, in considering whether or not the Bible really is the Word of God. So we need to deal with that uh, in uh, uh, at least in a brief way. Uh, and that's what we're going to start with in our in the segment right after the break here. This program is produced along with our website, thechristianfaith.org to help address the need for a healthy word of ministry among God's children today. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells us through the prophet Hosea, 
My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Our prayer is that the Lord, by his mercy, may use the ChristianFaith.org website and the Christian Faith Radio Hour to help the believers in Christ grow in our knowledge, both of our Savior and of our faith in him, so that we may stand more firmly for the Lord and for his purpose in these dark times. Visit us online for articles on the Bible and the Christian life and to sign up for our e-letter, which deals with various biblical topics. To listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify. And if you have questions or comments about what you've heard on this program or on our website or about the Christian faith in general, send us a note at questions at thechristianfaith.org. May this program and the christianfaith.org website be a blessing to you in your walk with the Lord and to all of God's children, for his sake and his glory. Amen. So, welcome back. Um, and as we uh, uh, said in the uh, at the end of the last segment, um, I want to make sure, because I'm, I'm new at this, so I have to, I want to make sure I'm Right button pressed here. Okay. So as we said at the end of the, of the, at the last segment, uh, there's a few different attacks that are made on the Bible today that we want to look at and just, just briefly consider. And the first one may be surprising for a lot of people uh, because one thing over uh, the last century or so that has really stumbled a lot of people in their view of the Bible is the teaching some have uh, that the earth is about 6,000 years old, give or take. Uh, that's called the young earth theory. And uh, that was what was believed for, for many centuries for, because it, it seems like when you look at Genesis chapter 1, uh, you can read it that way. That, and when you look at the geneal genealogies in the Bible that go back to Genesis, uh, it's about 6,000 years. And so people have, many people have had that view that the earth teaches that the Bible is 6,000 years old. And I think uh, my guess is probably as a response to the, the teaching of evolution, uh, which um, requires this, you know billions or whatever of years, however many billions of years to, to work, so they say. Uh, in response to the theory of evolution, some Christians really firmed up, they use that expression, they doubled down on the young earth theory and they, they, they come up with their evidence for for saying that the universe and the earth is, is only 6,000 years old. But when you look at the overwhelming body of scientific evidence, and I don't claim to be an expert, but it's, it's clear, the earth is not 6,000 years old. The, the universe is not 6,000 years old. And that causes a real problem. Those people who insist on that teaching, uh, which is not according to the Bible, even though they mean well and they're sincere, even though uh, they want to try to defend the Bible, they're really discrediting the Bible to so much of the population today. We have to have a much more uh, uh, sober and serious look at the Bible uh, to see what it actually teaches about the age of the earth. And so in the uh, 1800s, the evidence was really coming to light more and more that showed that the earth was older than the 6,000 year period people had, many people had thought. And as a result of that, uh, and again, I'm, I'm assuming this is what happened. I think some 
Bible teachers went back, students of the Bible, went back to the Bible and began to look and to see what does the Bible actually say about uh, the creation. And they came up with another theory. Uh, and when you look at it, this is this is not on the surface, but it is there. It's in the Bible. Uh, they realized uh, we need to view Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in, uh, Genesis chapter 1 in a different way than we have before. Were there six days of creation? Yes, there absolutely were. Uh, I'm not talking here about the day-age theory. You know, each, each of those days is a, uh, you know, however many years. Uh, no, as we've said before, they are literal days. There's, Jesus took them literally. We need to take them literally as well. There's a, there's a literal six-day period of creation. But what uh, people had missed until the 18th century was what happens in the first two verses of Genesis. So um, let's look at that. Um, let, let's look at these verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the surface of the deep. Um, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So the young earth view assumes that this is kind of a summary of what happens in the rest of the chapter of Genesis chapter 1. So then it says uh, uh, in verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. They're saying this is giving us the details of what's described in verses 1 and 2. But when uh, some students of the Bible looked at those first two verses in a more serious way, they took a different view, which is, no, chapter 1 Verse 1 stands alone in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That, that was God's complete creative act as far as the heavens and the earth were concerned. So then there was uh, an, a period of time. We don't know uh, how long a period of time there was between verse 1 and verse 2. And that's why this is called the gap theory. But there's a gap. So then in verse 2 uh, begins something different. It says... The earth was without form and void. But that word was there can also be translated became. The earth became formless and void. And darkness was upon the surface of the deep. And when you look at the whole Bible, that's really the proper way to understand that verse. So in other words, we simply don't know. According to this view, we don't know how old the earth is. There could be any amount of time between that original creative act and the rest of what's recorded in Genesis uh, chapter 1. Uh, the view here is that between verse 1 and verse 2, Satan rebelled against God. And that brought in God's judgment on the earth uh, and the destruction that resulted in the earth being without form and void. And there's a lot of reasons for believing this. For one thing, uh, if you think uh, uh, Genesis 1-2 is talking about God's original creation, it's just the earth at that time was a mess. I mean, is that what God created? It makes no sense. Uh, but the strongest verse that really proves Genesis 2 is, is after an interval of time. It's not in Genesis. It's in the book of Isaiah. It's chapter uh, Isaiah 45, verse 18. Um, in, in chapter Genesis 1-2, it says the earth was without form and void. And I, I don't know the uh, Hebrew and Greek, but you, know, you can look at a few words. That, uh, and when it says the earth was without form, the word there is... Uh, tohu. The word, the, the earth was tohu. That's the Hebrew word for formless. So when I, in Isaiah 45, 18, tells us specifically, God did not create 
the earth tohu. God did not create the earth formless. That's what the prophet tells us. Now, some translations, including the King James, recognize this directly contradicts the young earth theory. And so they add some words in there to their translation. They say, God did not create the earth to be formless. But if you look at the King James and probably other translations as well that do that, they have to put those words in italics to show you, oh, those words are not really in the original, uh, uh, they're not in the original manuscript. We have to add them in to fit our understanding of the Bible. Well, you, sometimes you need to add words when you're doing translations for clarity, but you should never do them, add them to change the meaning of the scripture. And that's what they're doing uh, when they add those words in. Isaiah 45, 18 is saying very strongly, that is not how God created the earth. And I, probably in, in a future program, we're going to get uh, more into this gap theory because it deserves more attention. One thing I will say, it used to be more accepted among uh, Bible-believing Christians. Uh, more recently, I think the younger theory, because there's been so much uh, uh, work done on behalf of that theory, and again, these are well-meaning believers, but, but it, it's just what they're teaching is just not according to the Bible, and it's done so much to prevent people from really appreciating the Bible as they should. Uh, but because of that work, the, the gap theory has, uh, is not as popular as it once was. But one place where it, it, it was promoted was in the Schofield Study Bible. And that's a very fundamental, very uh, literalist uh, study Bible. And I appreciate it very much. I think it's, a, it's, it's an excellent resource for, for gaining an understanding, an understanding of what the principles of the Bible really are. But uh, Schofield, he taught the gap theory. And if you look at his note on uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, here's what Schofield says. And I have to get a little, little drink there. Now, and to clarify, it's, it's the 1917 edition. I would not use uh, later editions of the so-called the New Schofield Study Bible. They, they, they changed that completely. It's not really the Schofield Study Bible. If you want a Schofield Study Bible, you have to get the 1917 edition. That's the one that has the real value. Um, okay, so he's, he's speaking here about Genesis 1-2, without form and void. Here's what he says. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 and 27, Isaiah 24-1, and Isaiah 45-18 clearly indicate that the earth had undergone a cataclysmic change as a result of divine judgment. In other words, the judgment that took place between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. The face of the earth bears everywhere the marks of such a catastrophe. And then he goes on and he says, there are not wanting intimations which connect it with the previous testing and fall of the angels. And so, uh, uh, and the, the, the scriptures he's referring to in that last statement are Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel uh, chapter 28, which um, allude to the fall of Satan. Uh, it, it seemed the, the king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, the king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28 do seem to refer to uh, Satan uh, and their figures representing Satan. So, so Schofield, which is a very well accepted study Bible for many, many years, and I think still is. I just this is one authority who um, strongly taught that uh, the, the the gap theory. But I should add too, the originator of the gap theory. Uh, was a man named uh, G.H. Pember, uh, and he uh, 
laid that theory out in his book, Earth's Earliest Ages. And I encourage you, if, if, you've, if you have some grounding in the word already, that's a very, very important book uh, for a number of reasons, one of which is it, it spells out this gap theory. But Pember was quite a student of prophecy. I've been in his writings lately, lately uh, prophetic writings lately, and really appreciate um, uh, how the, the help I've gotten from these writings. So that book, again, it's Earth, sorry, Earth's Earliest Ages. Uh, and it was written, it came out in 1876. And that's, he was the one who first, uh, to my knowledge, uh, and, and certainly the one who popularized the gap theory. But it deals with this question, if you want to take a literal trans, uh, view of the Bible, do you have to believe the earth is 6,000 years old? No, you don't. Uh, it could be, we simply don't know from the Bible really how old the earth is. And like I say, that, that's just kind of a brief introduction to the gap theory, but we'll um, uh, cover that more in depth, I think. And we may even spend a, a program on Mr. Pember's book because it's, it's quite important. It really is. It brings out a number of things that uh, we should be aware of. And then, um, and what I said just now about uh, uh, the, the king of Tyre and the king of uh, Babylon reminded me of something I need to clarify too. Uh, because I've been strongly stressing we want to take a literal view of the scripture. But that's when the Bible is meant to be taken literally, number one. Um, so if we, um, uh, we should take a literal historical view of the Bible. But it's not always meant to be taken literally, first of all. And uh, uh, we, uh, if it's meant to be taken uh, it's symbolically, like the, the book of Revelation is very much a book of signs. Uh, much of that is symbolic. It's still historical in the, in the future, but, it's, but when, we, uh, when the Bible's not meant to be taken literally, then we should take it in an allegorical or symbolic way. And secondly, it's, it's fine to apply the historical events in an allegorical way. That's also fine. Uh, there's no problem with that. And then we can learn a lot from, from that kind of Bible teaching. So I'm not against allegorizing so-called the scriptures. But it doesn't mean that the underlying events are not historical. We just have to be clear about that. So we're just about out of time here. Um, I uh, uh, was hoping to cover a couple more points, but we'll save those. Maybe it's better to save those for, for the next program. But I hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, we encourage you again to, to be in the Word. And uh, may the Lord lead you and bless you in His way in this coming week. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Christian Faith Radio Hour. You can visit us online at our website, thechristianfaith.org. And if you have comments or questions, send us an email at questions at thechristianfaith.org. And to listen to previous editions of this program, look for the Christian Faith Radio Hour podcast, which you can access via our website under the Media tab or directly on iTunes or Spotify.